Acts 19. There we go. I apologize. So, Acts 19. Let's let's pick up there, and then we're going to kind of understand why we're headed the direction we are. Um, Beginning in verse 8. And it said, He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, He withdrew from them and took the disciples with Him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Continue further. Verse 11. This is kind of verse 11 and 12 really is going to be um, where we're going to focus today and deal with a very difficult topic and a tough issue. Um, And so let's just set the parameters of it. He says in verse 11, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had been touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So this morning, we're going to deal with some tough, a tough topic, all right? Um, dealing with healings. And I'm not sure what all you've been involved in. Or, and sometimes we use the word miracle kind of frivolously. Uh, we, we say things um, like everything becomes a miracle, right? Like, oh, that was a miracle. Or, and then we have moments like we walk away from an accident and say, well, that was a miracle. Or a baby being born, that's a miracle. Or, and so the question becomes like, well, what is a miracle and what isn't a miracle? Is everything a miracle? Like, how do we define miracle? And what we're going to see in the New Testament especially is, is a miracle is something that God does through a human that they could in no way do by themselves. It's an impossibility for any human to do it. And so God does it through them. It is a mighty work of God through that person. Now, you may have seen things or been aware of them, depending on how much you watch on TV, or um, especially these things were really rampant, maybe not as much currently. Um, but whether you're watching TBN or Daystar, and you hear those statements, if you need a miracle or if you have a need, you can have a miracle, or we're going to send you this green prosperity prayer handkerchief, right? Or um, you, you send it in, oh, we're going to pray over it, you, we'll send it to you, you touch it wherever you have a, a problem, an ache, and you send it back to us. And oftentimes it comes with a green envelope. Why? They're hoping some green shows up with it, right? I must be honest. Um, you, you may see things with Benny Hinn, Rod Parsley. You're hearing those guys and, and you're seeing people being touched, knocked backwards. They're falling down, claiming to be healed. Um, this one here, this saying this awakening house of prayer and they're saying, bring your own handkerchief, right? They're going to have that. Why are they saying these things? You may wonder, why are they doing handkerchiefs? That's gross. Well, it's because of here what happens in Acts 19, right? Paul's handkerchiefs, even the aprons, aprons that had touched Paul's skin, Paul, they're now sending them out and people are touching them and being healed. So they're using this biblical example of what's happening in Acts 19 to do it. The question becomes, right, that we're really after is this. Do healing still happen today? That's the question that we're going to have to deal with today. And, and I'll be honest again, this for me is a double-edged sword of walking through verse by verse, word by word. The beauty of it is we have to deal with some of these difficult texts. The negative is we have to deal with some of these texts, right? That, that's the honest part of it. I'll be honest. I've wrestled all week. Uh, the folks came in for prayer time. They're like, Blake, what's wrong? And I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I've spent days upon days just pouring over this, praying, looking, seeking what other people think, believe, how they interpret these scriptures of healings and miracles. And how's that look today? Um, and so why, why is it so prevalent? Let's be honest. Would you just raise your hand today if it's you or someone that you love and care about that's currently dealing with some kind of illness or sickness? Would you raise your hand? It's you or someone you love and care about currently dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. 
It's prevalent, right? I mean, other things come and go, but illness and death remain. And constantly we're dealing with that, right? How do we deal and battle with disease, cancer? How do we deal with things um, when teenagers get sick or they die or babies get sick and die? Or what about this nagging ailment or illness that you've been dealing with that you can't just seem to get over or get, or get away from? And so what I want to say today is... Um, Again, it's, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. All right. And you and I may even disagree on, on how the interpretation of this text happens. But I want to say a couple of things. First and foremost is this. First is that God still heals. God still heals. So don't leave today in any doubt wondering, does God still heal? Does God heal? Absolutely. But I also want to let you know that there is a forever healing coming. And it looks like when Christ returns or He may call you home to be with Him, Right? No longer sick. No longer hurting. And so we see God doing this mighty work. And so the question we have to ask now is, okay, so do we have examples of healing in the New Testament? And if so, what's the purpose of those, right? Like, let's get after that. So today, we're going to kind of hit a lot of these, okay? And so if you have pen and paper, it may help to write it down. If not, just try to catch as much as you can. But we're going to say, all right, so what examples or testimonies are there in the New Testament of people being healed and what's the reason for it? All right, so may that help us understand why do miracles or why do these specifically as we deal today with the topic of healing, why do they happen, right? Let's start first and foremost with the life of Jesus. And as we start with Jesus, what you're going to notice is, is that if you walk through the Old Testament, there are points and times when healings happen, all right? There are healings, there are miracles. But to say that that's the norm, it's not, all right? Those... Those happen different places and times, and sometimes there's certain prophets that come on the scene that they have extraordinary powers for a season, and they're off the scene. But there's never been anyone like Jesus. This guy, when he walks on the scene, everything is different. There's been no one like him ever that's walked at that point to, up to that point in history, and no one's ever been seen like him again. Someone that would just walk around healing people with a touch, with a word, without even seeing the people face to face, just saying, hey, listen, you believe he's going to be healed? Go. And it says that he found out that very hour that when Jesus said that, that's when he found out his child had been healed. There's been no one like Jesus. So let's look for a moment at the life of Jesus and say, well, why did Jesus heal people? What was the purpose of it? What's happening? Start first with me, Matthew chapter 8. We're going to walk through Matthew a lot. So if you have your copy of God's Word and you want to turn there or turn it on and flip to Matthew 8 digitally, that's great too. Um, We're going to walk through Matthew. So guess what? Matthew chapter 8 verse 14 says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw that his mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. So what's Jesus do? He touches her. And guess what happens? Immediately the fever leaves her. And she rises and begins to serve. So what's the purpose of this? God has love and compassion on sick people. I don't know a parent or a grandparent worth their weight that when their child gets sick, they don't care and they're not up to up about it. I know many of you have shared things. I wish I could take it from them. I wish it didn't have to be my spouse. I wish that my child didn't have to deal with that. I wish that whoever I love and care about, I wish I could just take it away from them. And so let's see that first and foremost to realize God cares that His people are sick and hurting. And ultimately, what did He do about it? He sent His Son to redeem you that you could be with Him forever where there will be no more sickness. That's how much God cares about it. He would send His Son to die for us. So absolutely, God loves and cares. Secondly, look at the text further. It says, That evening they brought to Him many who were oppressed by demons, and He cast out the spirits with a word. And guess what it does? It says again that He healed all who were sick. 
Jesus is healing them. We don't know again if He's just touching them, if He's speaking, what happens. But listen, they are bringing many people to Him. And He is casting out demons. He is healing the sick. Why? Well, this one gives us pretty explicit why this was fulfilled. Right? See that? So you don't have to wonder what was the point of that. This is fulfilled what's spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So listen, this is a fulfillment now. So we not only have about God's love and compassion, why is Jesus doing this? This is to authenticate that He is truly the messenger that God has sent. He is the promised one. Further with me. Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, it says, But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is the four friends bringing their paralytic friend, lowering him down through the mat and the roof. And He says again to the paralytic. So that tells us really quickly what's wrong with him, right? He's paralyzed. Look what He says to him. Rise... Pick up your bed and go home. And guess what he does? He rose and he went home. Immediately. It happened. Why? It says, When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So there we see another reason why the miracles happen. Because they glorify God. They point people to God. That there is one who can actually heal your diseases and sicknesses. And in fact, Jesus is doing this. Why? He's showing that He is truly the Son of Man, has authority on earth to forgive sins. Why? Because I don't have time, but Jesus did something very intentional. He didn't heal the person first. First He said to them, your sins are forgiven. They said, who can forgive sins but God alone? This is blasphemy. And He says, I just want you guys to know that I actually have authority here on earth to forgive sins. And I want to show you how that authority is real. Rise, take up your mat and go home. And the man walks up and everybody's like, Whoa! So it's true. It glorifies God and it authenticates that Jesus is truly who He claims to be. Further with me, Matthew 9, verse 20. It says, Behold, a woman who had suffered a discharge of blood for 12 years. All right, so this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. I think it's Mark who says, he records this account. He says that she spent all that she had on doctors and them and says, but instead of getting better, she grew what? Do you remember? Worse, didn't she? She grew worse. Here's Jesus. She says, look what she came up behind Him and she just touches the fringe of his garment. So now she touches him. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And then the statement, instantly, the woman was made well. Twelve years, everything else, no. One moment in Jesus' presence touching him, she's made well. Wow, it's the glory of God. It's authenticating who He is. It's His power, His love, His compassion. Further, verse 27 of Matthew 9, it says, And Jesus passes on from there, and now we encounter two blind men following Him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, Son of David. Alright, so this is a Messianic title. You hear that term, Son of David. That was a long-awaited Savior. They're saying, Are you really who you claim to be? Are you really who you claim to be? Son of David? Messiah? Savior? That's what they're crying out, these blind men. He says, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Look what he does here. He touches their eyes saying, and he says, right? According to your faith, may it be done to you. And guess what happens? Their eyes were open immediately. Jesus warns them, don't tell anybody about this, but they go out and tell everyone. And verse 31 records that his fame began to spread. Right? It was the glory of God. It was His love and compassion. Don't you see some humility, right? Look at Jesus. Hey, listen, this isn't about it, right? Look what else He says. It came to Him, right? They, they go inside the house. They enter the house. He doesn't do this out in front of everyone. It's kind of contrary to what we see a lot of times, right? People, a lot of want showmanship. They want everybody to see. So often, Jesus goes and He's exclusive. 
further with me. Verse 32 of Matthew 9. Matthew 9 is loaded with healing of what Jesus does. It says they were going, Behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute. All right? So we've had a lot of people, a lot of different ailments. Now we have someone that's mute. It's because of the demon oppression. All right? And look what Jesus does. The demon's cast out. And guess what the man does? The mute man spoke. Wow. Look what happens here. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Nobody's ever been like this. They're wondering, is this the Messiah? Is this the promised Savior? Further with me. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. It says, Then a demon-oppressed man, this time it kind of ups the ante. Not only is he mute, but he's also blind. They bring him to Jesus. And guess what Jesus does? He heals him so that the man could speak and now he could also see. Guess what happens? Again, all the people were amazed. And then they asked this question, can this be the son of David? The people are starting to catch on. Is this the Messiah? Are you hearing about this guy? Who's te- he, he just he cast out demons. People are blind. Now they see the mute speak, the lame walk. I mean, who is this man? Is this the, you guys think this is actually him from all the Old Testament? Do you think this is actually him on the scene? It's clamoring. People are wondering further with me. Matthew 15, it says in verse 30, And great, the great crowds came to him, bringing with them... Look what happens here. Now, this, this is just unloading the people, right? Which, can you imagine, if we heard about this in our day and time, what we've asked it before, but if your child was sick or someone you loved and care about, and you heard this was happening, this was what would take place. You wouldn't have to advertise it anywhere. You wouldn't need a TV show for it. I'm telling you, people would show up and beat your doors down. Why? Look what happens here. They bring the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others... And they put them at Jesus' feet. Wow, what a place to be. And He healed them. Hmm. Again, we have another so that. Right? He's trying to clue us in. You want to know what happened in response to this? The crowd begins to wonder. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, they're wondering, is this the kingdom of God coming? Is this it? Guess what they do? They glorify God. They glorify God. Further with me, Matthew 17, verse 14. It says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling. This is when Jesus comes down out of the man of transfiguration. His glory has just been shown to Peter, James, and John. Elijah and Moses have just shown up. He comes down out of the mountainside. And this man comes kneeling before him and says, Lord, have mercy on my son. Can you imagine if you were a parent? Your child was suffering. For he, look what he says here. He has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls in the fire and often in the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebukes the demon and it comes out of him. And the boy was healed what? Instantly. You see in the common theme that's happening? Luke records the same account. He says in verse 43 of Luke 9, he says that when this happened, all were astonished at the majesty of God. Right? They're, they're, the people are tuning up. How great is our... I mean, they're, they're just, man, how great is God? How awesome must our God be? Listen, church, this is your God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is your God. You're not worshiping someone different. This isn't some man of antiquity that they've since buried. This is the resurrected Christ. This is whom you bow before. This is whom you praise. This is whom you worship and live. That's how great God is. Finish with one last example of Jesus' healing. 
It says in Matthew, or Luke 17, verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Oh. And they stood at a distance. Man, that's what often happens with our sin. We stand at a distance. They set up their voices. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus saw them and He speaks. Go. Show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, again, another immediate healing. As they went, they were cleansed. So the text records for us in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And this is absolutely crucial. Notice what the text does not say. Listen to this. He was a Samaritan. Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Why was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Interesting. Acts chapter 3. The people will look at Peter and they'll wonder if Peter did it. And he says, I tell you, it is not by our power or our authority that we healed this man. We're just a man. It is by the power of the name of Jesus. Saul and, uh, um, is it Saul and Silas? Saul and Barnabas? Um, there in Acts 14, when they do a mighty healing, the people begin to come and sacrifice at them, and they literally tear their clothes and say, We are just men! There's no one that can heal but God! But Jesus doesn't do that. When people praise Him, He receives it. Why? Because He is God. He is God. So the question becomes, well, what about the disciples, right? That's great for Jesus. What's that got to do with us? So let's look just for a moment at that. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus calls to him the 12 disciples, right? So we see the 12 that are there. And what's he tell them? Well, he gives them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Right? Further with me. Uh, Luke chapter 10. Now we have the 72, right? So Jesus sends out the 72, and he tells them, hey, go ahead of me. And he tells them to heal the sick, and when they return, they tell them that even the demons are subject to us in your name. So what we see with Jesus' life is three distinct things. One, he has power over demons. Two, he has power over sicknesses and diseases. And then third, he has power over nature. What we discover when we watch the disciples, and specifically the twelve apostles, is they have two of the three. They have power over demons and power over diseases and sicknesses. But we never see them multiplying the food to feed 5,000. We don't ever see them walking on water. You say, well, Blake, Peter walked on water. Yeah, it was because Jesus invited him out. We never see them recording Scripture saying to the storms, peace be still. So two of the three distinct things of Jesus and his ministry are affirmed, right? And so today you might say, Blake, I don't know if I need this many examples. We're going to hit some more. We're going to walk now with the disciples, specifically the 12 apostles in the book of Acts. Why are we doing this? Because I, this morning we could have spent our time looking at all these different counterfeit. And I would say, hey, listen, you need to watch this. And hey, you need to be aware of this. And this right here probably appears false. But that's not how they train people, right? right? I'm not in banking, but I, just a little bit of, of knowledge will help you really quickly uncover that the way they treat or train people to discover fake money is not by looking at fake money, but by what? Looking at the real thing, right? Coca-Cola, the real thing. That's how you discover it. That's what I want you to do. How will you know if that's a real healing or that's true or genuine? You've got to look at the real thing. So let's look now just for a few moments here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3, this was an example I was just telling you about with Peter. And it says, a man lame from birth. The text further records that this man had been lame for 40 years. It says, they laid him daily at the gate, beautiful. Peter comes up and this guy's begging. He says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
Rise up and walk. What, Peter? That's dangerous, right? I mean, let's be honest. That's some dangerous talk to say rise up and walk to somebody. Peter takes him by the right hand and raised him up. And here we have this statement again. Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Immediately. That's the healing that's taking place here in the biblical accounts. The man leaps up. Right? This is no partial. This is no waiting. He leaps up. He begins to walk. He begins to praise God. All the people recognize it. They begin to have wonder and amazement, similar to what was saying with Jesus. And what's Peter do? Does he say, that's right, everybody come worship me. Everybody come follow, that's right. No, look what he says. Repent, guys. Turn back to God. He points them immediately to the Lord Jesus Christ and the one true living God. Further with me. Um, Acts chapter 5. It says, many signs and wonders were regularly done at the, among the people by the hands of the apostles. So that gives us some clarity on this, right? They're regularly done. It's by the hands of the apostles. All right. So we're speaking of signs and wonders there. It says they're regularly done. Verse 14 of Acts 5. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick in the streets. And this right here is just pretty crazy to believe. I'll confess. They carried out the sick in the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. He's just walking through. Guess what happens? It says that this is so real and authentic that people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem bringing the sick and those afflicted and they were all healed. What's happening here though? Look what happens. You may miss it. Verse 14. And more than ever believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes. It's pointing people to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Further with me. Acts chapter 9. This is Saul of Tarsus. You remember Saul. He's on the road to where? Come on, he's on the road to where? He's on the road to Damascus, right? Saul on that Damascus road. He's there. Guess what happens? His eyes were open. He says, but he saw nothing. He's blinded by that great light. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks to him. God now speaks and says to Ananias in verse 15, that goes to this man by the name of Saul. He's my chosen instrument. So Ananias, he departs. All right, so we have Ananias. And he lays his hands on him. Oh, he lays hands. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He just speaks, lays hands, speaks, right? Then we have that statement again. And what? Immediately. The scales and he regains his sight immediately. What's he doing in response to this? He begins proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue, saying he's truly the Son of God. Further with me. Acts 9, verse 32. As Peter went here and there among them all, he went also down to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas. All right, so we have Aeneas. What's up with Aeneas? Well, he's been paralyzed for eight years. Peter says to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. So Peter just speaks. Jesus Christ heals you. He says to him, rise and make your bed. And again, there's that statement. Immediately, he rose. What happens? Well, everybody begins to turn to the Lord there. It's a mighty work. It's just like Lazarus, right? Remember Lazarus raised from the dead? What did they want to do to Lazarus after he was raised from the dead? What did the Pharisees and religious leaders want to do to him? They wanted to kill him, didn't they? They wanted to take him out, right? Because he was, they were pointing to everybody that Christ was truly the Messiah. Further, Acts 9, verse 36. It says there was in Joppa a disciple. Her name is Tabitha, right? And she's making all these things, but she becomes ill and dies. Peter shows up at the house. They go and they get Peter. He's near. And he comes down. What, what does Peter do? Well, the text records that in verse 40 that he kneels down and he prays. And he simply says to her, Tabitha, arise. The text records, she opens her eyes, she sits up. And this became known throughout all Joppa, verse 42, and many believed in the Lord. 
Again, it's immediate. Acts 14, verse 8. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. This man had been crippled from birth. He had never walked. He listens to Paul speaking, and presumably about Christ here. And Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. He just says, Hey, look, stand up. I see you, man. Stand up. Guess what the guy does? He sprang up and began walking. Just immediately. Boom. Further with me, Acts chapter 20. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul was with them. Alright, I can definitely connect with this. It says that Eutychius sleeps and gets in a long, deep sleep. Why? Because Paul talks still longer, right? He did. Guess what happens? We're going to get to this in a few weeks. I'm going to warn you, if you ever fall asleep and you fall out dead, don't be relying on me to raise you up. Um, he says, being overcome by sleep, he falls out of this third story window and he's dead. Now, what are you going to do with dead people? Paul goes down. What do we have him do? He says he bends over. He takes him in his arms. And he says, don't be alarmed. His life is in him. And the text just records to us further in verse 12. that They took the youth away alive. And they were not a little comforted. Wow. Just does it. Acts chapter 28. The final example of healing we have in the book of Acts. It says in verse 8, this is where they're shipwrecked there on Malta. If you remember Paul, he's headed uh, toward Rome. They get shipwrecked there. Um, it says that it happened the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. All right, so that's what's wrong with him. He's sick. Um, Paul visits him. Guess what Paul does? He prays and he puts his hands on him and he's healed. It's obviously real and authentic and must be pretty quick because look what happens. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And verse 11 records that he stayed about three months, presumably proclaiming Christ with them before they will head out to sea. So I want you to see these things and I want you to be able to walk away saying, okay, as I look at this, the question is, do healing still happen? Yes, God still heals. But it still leaves a pressing question. It's this. If God still heals then, do we see healings today in the same manner as in the New Testament? And if I was to answer yes to that question, if I said I see it in the same manner, then I must say that I'm, I have to see the blind, the lame, the mute, the paralyzed, the demon-possessed, the dead being raised, presumably at a command, at someone praying, kneeling, placing hands on. That's why these, these aprons or these handkerchiefs and so when I look at that, I have to begin to say, you know what, I, I personally, maybe you are, maybe you can enlighten me, I'm, I'm not aware of that happening anywhere. It may be taking places in cutting-edge ministries in regards to missions where the gospel's not gone forth and it's happening, um, right, in, in powerful ways. But for the most part, I'm not sure that we're seeing it in that immediate sense of someone being able to walk forward and saying, you're healed, and boom, it happens. So that begins to ask this question. So does that mean the gift of healing has ceased? challenging. Why? Because there is some great folks on both sides of this argument, and I want you to feel the tension. Who are some that believe it ceased? People like John Calvin, Martin Luther. You'd say, well, who cares about Martin Luther? Well, he's the guy that nailed the 95 Theses to the Catholic door and began the Protestant Reformation that has a huge impact on you today. Uh, other folks, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, called the Prince of Preachers, Albert Moeller, president of Southern Seminary now. Why do they say this? Why do they think that it's possible that these gifts have ceased, or it's at least possible? 
Ephesians chapter 2, listen to this statement says. In Ephesians 2, we record these words of God. It says, the household of God, so God's house, God's people are built on what? He says, what's the foundation of the apostles and prophets? Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And then we come to Jude chapter uh, chapter 1 verse 3. It says, for I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. All right, so we have the faith. And look what he says here. That was once for all delivered to the saints. And so they hear this and they see this line of reason. They see the fact that we're not maybe seeing the miracles like we did in that day and time. And they would say, hey, listen, here's what happened. The Bible is now closed. Right? We're no longer getting further revelation in regards to it's on the, on the equivalency of Scripture. Right? So if anybody stands and says that they have the authority to speak and it's on the same authority of the Bible, I would tell you to run as fast as you can. I don't care who they think they've heard from or how enchanted they are or how mystic maybe they've become or what they've heard from God. Anyone that says they have the authority of Scripture today, I don't care if they call themselves Pope, Pastor, Reverend, Brother, Doctor, uh, Apostle, whatever. No one speaks with the authority of Scripture. Are you clear on that? That is a great deception. No one today has the authority to speak on the same level of Scripture. If that's the case, then the Scripture is in fact not closed and still open. But the Bible says it was once for all delivered to the saints. Further with me. Again, why are, why are some folks thinking that maybe some of these, these gifts have ceased? Um, they would say, well, obviously the apostles have stepped off the scene. And it appears that maybe prophets have as well in that regard of being able to speak perfectly the words of God. Further with me. Hebrews 2. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So we're speaking about salvation here. He says, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So the Lord, obviously the Lord Jesus Christ, speaks about it. Those who heard would clearly be the apostles and others. He says, while God also bore witness by signs. So here's how God gave witness that what they were saying was truly God's word. Look what he says there. There were signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul's going to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, the signs of a true apostle were formed, or, or, or performed among you, signs, wonders, and those various miracles. So they look at this and say, you know what? What we have today is all we need. We have the Word of God. That's enough. God no longer has to affirm that this is truly God's Word, right? I mean, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but Paul doesn't walk today in Acts 19 and begin to say, hey, would you guys just open up to Romans chapter 8 with me real quickly? Or would you look to Ephesians 1? All right, somewhere close to 400 A.D. is when the, the canon, the entirety of the New, New Testament, Old Testament is put together and affirmed. All right, so these folks, predominantly, they would have to be in the synagogue. That's why you see them teaching and preaching so much in the synagogue. Why? That's where the Word of God would have been contained. But they're examining the Old Testament Scriptures to look and see that. But others would say, you know what? The gift of healing hasn't ceased. Uh, we may not see it like we did there, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't ceased. And, and who are some people that believe that? Well, people like John Piper, Tim Keller, Matt Chandler, Wayne, uh, theologian Wayne Grudem. I mean, these are folks that are well-respected and say, you know what, they, the gifts haven't ceased, or at least we have to be open to the possibility they haven't. Why do they think that? Well, if you walk to Romans 12, he talks about these gifts of the Spirit that are there. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 obviously talk about the different gifts of the Spirit. In Acts 10, we have the gifts of the Spirit being displayed as we do in Antioch, as we did here last week in Ephesus. Remember that? When Paul laid the hands on the Holy Spirit came, they began to speak in tongues, and they began to prophesy. The gift was at work. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, don't despise prophecy. So we see a multitude of different churches in different places where obviously these spiritual gifts are at work. Why is that important? Well, 
One example would be Galatians 3, verse 5, where it says this, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of law, by hearing with faith? Why is that significant? Because Paul is no longer present in Galatia. See, many folks would say, well, it was just contained to the apostles and it was affirming their word. But it seems pretty clear as we look to the multitude of letters we have and examples like this from Galatians 3.5 that God's doing the work just amongst the body of Christ. These more miraculous gifts are, we might define them. Furthermore, we have in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen, right? Stephen and Philip, maybe two of the first deacons, if that's what they're called, actually. It says that Philip and, uh, or Stephen is doing many great signs and wonders. In Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 7, Philip was there casting out demons in Samaria. He was healing the blind and the lame. So the question becomes, well, hey, if I'm looking at this, right? Again, I know this is tough sledding today, but you need to deal with this issue. You need to figure it out. How, how do you begin to interpret it? Some would say, okay, does the New Testament ever at any point say the gifts will cease? Yes. And that's the debating issue. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. The love chapter is intentionally not for husbands and wives, although that's applicable it's speaking to the church because the church was that divided and saying, listen, guys, we should be loving one another, not fighting. It's in the midst of all these spiritual gifts and abuses. So look what he says, verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, as for prophecies, all right, so we have prophecies. He says, they're going to pass away. He says, we also have tongues. And he says, they're going to cease. Knowledge is going to pass away. He says, for we know in part, we prophesy in part. And here's that statement that I want to bring you to that creates much debate. But when the perfect comes. See that statement there. The perfect comes, the partial will what? Pass away. And that's the question. When's the partial and when the perfect come? Those that believe the gifts have ceased say the perfect has come and the perfect is actually God's Word. We have it now. It's contained in these 66 books. We need nothing else. We don't have to have signs, wonders, miracles to affirm it. The Word of God is sufficient of itself. And I would say amen to that. However, however, pump the brakes for a moment. Look what happens further in the text here, the context of 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. He's saying that then is obviously when the perfect comes. And it would sure appear from the context that the then or the perfect coming is when Christ actually returns to set up his kingdom. And so they would say, because of that, then the gifts must continue until that time and place. Maybe you're overwhelmed and wondering, I don't have a clue. Yeah, I struggle a lot with it too. It's challenging. It is absolutely challenging. Great men of God, Adrian Rogers, David Jeremiah. I mean, I've looked at all these different folks and folks are disagreeing across the spectrum. I'm like, what? So what I think we could say is definitively, for the vast majority of us, again, you may be aware of something I'm not, that we're not seeing the gifts being displayed in the same manner they were in the New Testament. Instantaneously people being healed. But that doesn't mean that God can't or that He stopped giving the gift. Alright? God can do whatever He wants to do. And so we have to say from the New Testament there's some ambiguity there. We're not necessarily clear perfectly. But we know there's day coming. So a couple of things I want to caution you to is this. If someone stands up and claims that they can heal or they healed someone and that doesn't actually happen then two things are possible. One, either that person has been deceived or they are intentionally a deceiver. So if someone stands forward and says, I've healed this person, that person isn't healed, then you've either got someone that's been deceived, and listen, we're all capable of being deceived. Don't think that you're not. We're all capable of it. I'm capable of it. 
For they themselves are intentionally deceiving others. So I warn you, be cautious. Everything you see today, I want you to compare it to the Scriptures. So where does this leave us? A couple of things I want to hit in closing. First is this. So what do I do if I'm sick? Should I pray for healing? I don't think you have to wonder about this. I think James 5 is very clear on it. So let's get to it. He says, is anyone among you sick? James 5, verse 14. All right. So we have anyone among you sick. So that we're dealing with it clearly here. Guess what he says? He says, let him call for the elders of the church. All right. So we have the elders of the church. They're calling for them. The leadership of the church. Let them pray over him. Then furthermore, they're to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Right. It's in the name of Jesus. And here we have again the statement. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Now, I think when we begin to read that, we realize that it's not just contained to the leadership praying. The body of Christ is praying for one another. We're praying for one another. God, heal them, right? That you may be healed. So we're praying for one another. And then again, he says that statement. The prayer of a righteous person has great powers that's working. Four times, three verses. For the sick, we are to pray. So if you've ever wondered, should I pray for someone to get well? I think absolutely. The Bible says, yes, you should pray. And I encourage you, follow James chapter 5, that example. Live that out. Follow that. But absolutely, yes. If you're wondering, should I pray? Will God be upset if I pray and ask Him to heal me or heal somebody I care about? No, I think James 5 is explicit. We should pray for one another. Pray for their healing. That brings up another question. So what if I follow James 5 and I pray for healing and it doesn't happen? What's that mean? Right? I don't know if you've ever been there, but you prayed for healing for somebody and it doesn't happen. That can create a lot of questions and even times tension between you and God. First and foremost, I want to say this. Realize that your greatest spiritual healing is not your physical sickness, but your spiritual one. And God has already provided the remedy for that in Christ. That's the healing you most need. Why do I say that? Because there is a forever healing coming in heaven. But I want you to know this. All the people that we've studied today that got sick, guess what? They still died. So even if God was to heal you, and praise God when He does, but these folks still die, guys. It doesn't give you like a get-out-of-death-free card. Your greatest healing is your salvation of your soul. That's what you desperately need. Cry out, pray for the other. Physical healing, if God provides, praise His name. So what about sickness? Well, can it be a result of sin? That's a challenging question. Jesus would tell us in John chapter 9 that don't always assume that sin or, is the, or sickness is the result of sin. He said this man was born that way. He was born blind. Why? That the glory of God might be revealed in his life. James chapter 5 did tell us, though, that there was a need in the midst of sickness to confess sin. So if there's sickness in your life, I can encourage you. God, cleanse me. Show me, Lord. Is there anything in my life? I shared with you before. There was a time in my life of disobedience to the Lord in a certain area. And God inflicted me. And I became sick. And there was no doubt why it happened. I knew. The Lord told me, Blake, if you are involved in that again, I will discipline you. And immediately, boom, it happened. I knew it. There was no doubt. Furthermore, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30 says that those who took the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, he said, that's why many of you are sick and some of you have even died. God says, don't play games with me. So it can be a result of that. Is it always? Absolutely not. Be careful in searching for that. But it is at least possible. Yes. Is it possible that the reason why I'm not healed is a lack of faith? You say, well, why would someone even say that? Well, 
Jesus in John, Matthew chapter 13, he's in his hometown. He says, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief or lack of faith. So it's possible. But I want to close with an example that may help you understand and grasp a little bit more of this. I want to show you an apostle who had the gift and power of healing, who he himself was not always healed, and he didn't always heal others. Let's look at it just for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it's the Apostle Paul. Look what it says here. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. He's asking God, please take this away from me. They leave me, right? He's saying, God, heal me. God says, no, Paul, my power or my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So we have an example of someone who was not only an apostle who had that power, but who remained sick. They prayed and God chose not to heal them. It may be the same with you and I, brothers. That was a bitter pill for me to swallow with my own father. I'll be really honest with you. Furthermore, a couple examples. Um, Paul's dealing with others here. Paul, who obviously we saw him. He's raised the dead. He's healed. Why could he not? But he says in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23 to Timothy, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Why? If Paul has the power to heal, why doesn't he just do it? You ever wonder that? God, if you've got the power, just heal me! Heal my baby! There it is. So in Philippians chapter 2, verse 27, Indeed, he, Epaphroditus, was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also, me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Why is Paul even concerned about sorrow if he can heal somebody? It's not always God's will to heal someone. And then finally, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, he says, I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miltus. Paul left, and this guy's still sick. So what can we say? It's not always God's will to heal you. That's hard. Some of you have lost people you love and care about. You've prayed, you've fasted, you've cried out to God, you've followed the example of James 5, and you're here today scratching your head wondering, why is this God who's all-powerful, all these examples, didn't heal? I would compel you that you and I need an abundance of grace when it comes to this, that we could simply bow our knee and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today who are dealing with sicknesses, some of them unexplainable, some of them at this point, they have no solution to them. Oh, Father, I wish that I would have the power, God, to simply say, be healed, be clean. Father, I just pray for an abundance of grace on them. That they would know that your grace is sufficient, that your power is perfect in weakness. I pray that you would cause each of us to examine our lives to say, Lord, show me, God, if there is sin in my life, Lord, show me, God, about my faith, God. We pray like that man in Mark, God, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief, Lord. I struggle. Help me, God. 
Lord, this is such a challenging subject, Lord. If I've said anything that is contrary to what you are truly doing through your Spirit and in accordance with your Word, Father, forgive me. And then I pray you would use godly men and women to show it to me. Lord, I want more clarity on this. This is hard to understand and interpret. Father, I know we see through a glass dimly. Lord, God, give us more light to understand truthfully what your Word says. I pray that my, our people here, God, will not be deceived by those who are claiming to be something they are not. I pray for those that are claiming it, Lord, and just are deceived. They're not intentional, God. It's just happening, Lord. I pray right now that you would show them, God. I pray you would protect them. Protect me from saying things that are contrary to what your will truly is. Father, now I ask. I ask that you would stretch out your hand to heal. Knowing that you have the absolute power and authority to heal anyone here today that is struggling. Anyone in their family. Anyone in, their, in this community. In this world. I pray now, God, asking for you to heal in accordance with your word and by the power of your spirit for your glory and not any man or woman's. Please, God, heal people. I ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.